Thanks for tuning in to the Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. This show is intended to highlight marketing and conversion techniques taught by today's leaders in the ecom world. I'll be interviewing the top marketers that are influencing the market, making an impact, scaling faster than their competitors, and doing good. I'm your host, Samir Al Kamuni, founder and CEO of Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. If you enjoy anything from today's episode, I highly recommend checking out fetchfunnel.com and sign up for our email newsletter where I promise to only send you content you can learn from and apply directly into your business to improve results and scale. At the end of each episode, my goal is to have you feeling inspired and fired up by learning from today's top innovators, marketers, and entrepreneurs. Let's dig into another amazing story about a unique brand crushing it and learn from their success and learnings. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a super exciting episode of Ecom Growth Leaders. I am here with the great Noah King of a really cool company that you may or may not have heard of that's going to be up and coming. And if you're any type of media buyer in the Facebook space, you should become aware of it, which is called Popsicle. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Samir, great great to be, be here with you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, super excited to chat today. Me as well. So, no, we go way back. We've been friends for years now. We've uh, yeah. we've worked on different projects together. We've I think we've handed clients <laughs> to one another I over worked, the yeah. years. Yeah, you you have a very you know interesting background. You've worked on a lot of really cool projects. I'd like to call you a serial entrepreneur at this point, if I'm allowed to do so. Um, I'll take it. But <laughs> awesome. Would love to just have you start by telling the audience, you know, a little sure. bit about yourself and and you know what where you are today and maybe what's led you to get there. Sure. Yeah. So today I'm running uh, an ad tech company called Popsicle. We're really focused on helping brands get the highest possible performance from their digital ads. Uh, today we're really focused on fixing iOS 14 performance issues for Facebook and Instagram. And our roadmap is going to help even much, much further than that in other channels. But really how I got there was I've been working in social media and digital strategy since I went to grad school in 2009. Uh, Studied social media theory with Clay Shirky at NYU. It was sort of emergent. I was deeply, deeply fascinated because it was like one part tech and one part, you know, behavior. And those are two areas I'm very passionate about. And when I finished school, uh, I ended up working at big agencies in New York and Boston, uh, did a stint at Barbarian Group, Hill Holiday, then moved to Havas Media as the world went more towards paid, went really deep into managing a programmatic buying team, mostly, again, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, social channels, Snap, etc. Um, and then three years ago, I left the agency world, uh, created a startup. Uh, ran it as a sole founder for a few years, went through Techstars, and then four months ago we pivoted and launched Popsicle, and the rest is uh, has been really fun. That's awesome. So, I mean, with Popsicle, attribution is a major 
a major importance and and you guys are are aiming to solve that problem I mean, I think we're gonna have a lot of really action-packed stuff here to talk about and, and uncover yep. um, you know and I would love to potentially just start with that because I think that's going to lead into a really good conversation with us to talk about yeah. sort of the future of the marketing world, you know, is Facebook dead or not and so many pieces, but would love for you to just kind of talk about attribution yeah. a little bit, you know, the importance of it and, and yeah. you know, we're going to a cookie-less world, all of those types of things. So yeah. I, I would start here. I feel like, <clears throat> you know, marketing has always been an art and a science, but the, the modern marketing tools that we work with, it's all run on machine learning and artificial intelligence at this point. And it's so much more complex. It's so much more technical. There's so much more nuance. You know, you could have one person running all your marketing 10 years ago, and now you're going to have 10 or 20 specialists all doing very specific things. Um, so in that world, Facebook really quickly grew to the top because they had built one of the best machine learning systems. Uh, lookalike audiences, the Facebook pixel, you know, a fantastic programmatic self-service ad buying platform. Like, you know, six years later, Facebook's doing a hundred billion a year in, in ads and every business under the sun has figured out how to use Facebook or one of their channels to, to scale their business. And then all of a sudden, you know, Apple and Facebook start fighting and Apple says everyone cares about privacy more than anything else, which is true. And iOS 14 basically prevents Facebook's pixel from working and it puts Facebook on a data diet. Well, what happens when you build an incredible machine learning system that's being fed real-time data from a website and then you snap your fingers and half the data goes away? Well, you get very erratic whipsaw performance. You have good days and bad days. Maybe the spread between them is 50%. You have targeting that stops working. You have optimization that stops working. You have you know, some brands go out of business. Like it's really been pretty messy. Um, and I would say it's really two parts. So one half of that problem, when you're not getting the right data, one half is attribution where we started, you know, you can't really trust what you're seeing. The numbers aren't coming in. They're not reliable, et cetera. The other half is the machine learning system stops working. So, you know, if Facebook doesn't know what good looks like, if it doesn't know who the good customers are and you're going to serve, a million impressions to a 5 million person audience, how does it know which 20% of people to reach? It doesn't do a very good job of that. So that's really the problem we're trying to solve is how do we restore the flow of data, your data, first party data from your site back to Facebook. And once you've done that, okay, now the numbers are legit and trustworthy. Now the machine learning is being fed quality data and starts working optimally. So we typically see a near instantaneous improvement to you know, ad performance, measurement, et cetera. It's kind of the the whole the whole data stack uh, gets restored once using Popsicle. And so, I mean, I, th I feel like you touched upon a really, a couple really important things there. I mean, bare bones basics is, you know, you should be running Facebook ads. I think that was one takeaway. Pretty much every, for the most part, every business can be on Facebook, right? Facebook is not dead by any means. It may or may not have a ceiling for your brand, but it's it's not dead, right? Yep. And then and then, but the importance of right, it's it's not the it you know the good old days are gone. That's for certain, right? The 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 just sort of you know go just CPMs being so low that it doesn't matter what who you go after or what your creative looks like. That doesn't exist anymore. You definitely need, 
you know, you need good creative, you need good audience targeting and all of these layers for it. But then included in all of that, we need to have as much attribution as possible because what you're talking about is is the algorithms working our, in our favor, right? AI is super important. You need to pay attention to it. I mean, I like to say that if you think you're smarter than Facebook, you're sort of fooling yourself at this point, right? Um, and so along those lines, right, I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, as people are, are, you know, I guess the basics, right? Everyone should install Facebook's conversions API, Facebook Cappy. If you don't know how to do that, you know, you, you sort of need to try to figure that out or, or find someone on Upwork to implement it for you or something like that. But then, you know, from that, yeah, like what, I guess like what is the, what, you know, I think it'd be interesting to talk about Popsicle a little bit in more detail of sort of like what is the unique thing that then it, it does do over Cappy um, and then, you know, why is that little bit of a difference make, you know, why does that little bit of a percentage difference make such a, make such an impact, right? Versus like, oh, no big deal. If I just capture five more purchases, yeah. like uh, who cares, right? Like I, I'm getting purchases. I don't really care. Like if I get a bigger attribution. Yeah. So let's, let's touch on a few things. So first of all, I think Facebook has always been the biggest platform with the most reach. So between all their properties, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, Audience Network, you know, you will not find a customer that you can't reach through one of those means. So, you know, sure, there's a lot of other channels that can add incremental reach, but Facebook and Google are still like the biggest channels with the, the biggest possible scaling. Um, and again, you know, I would say Facebook as a product company is mediocre. They tend to just copy what other people have done and do it better. But as an ad tech company, they're best in the game. You know, every other company has modeled their pixel, their ad buying, their optimization off of Facebook. Facebook is really, really strong with engineering, open sourcing, APIs, ad tech, Cappy, all these things. So the future of all digital marketing, you have to have a server to server connection in place. You know, cookies and pixels, like they're kind of gen one, they're dying. Um, they're gonna be formally deprecated, although the day keeps moving. But if you are if you are buying ads digitally and you don't set up a server to server connection, you are not taking advantage of what's fully available and your performance is gonna pay the consequence. And if you do set up Cappy, um, yes, you it's not just a light switch that's on or off. There's levels to the game. What we are trying to do is really make sure that the data coming through is entirely being utilized, right? So data coming from Facebook's pixels, mostly being discarded, data from a standard Shopify Cappy connection is also being discarded because it's piggybacking on Facebook's terms, which piggybacks on Apple's terms. So sending it yourself, sending it from a partner that you're, you're building a one-to-one -one connection between your site and Facebook directly. Um, I would call that like data provenance like where is the data coming from? It's coming from your website. You have permission to use it. You have the authority to share it. It's your first party data. If you don't explicitly uh, tell that to Facebook, they're gonna most likely throw away half your data because of iOS 14. So that's a huge part of it. And then yes, there's a lot of um, incrementality. So with a really advanced Cappy connection, not only is the data getting over the fence successfully, but we found ways to get 10% higher Facebook click ID parameters passed with your payloads. We're finding ways to 
capture email sooner in the process so that you're sending email with upper funnel metrics, not just conversion events. We're finding ways to match sessions. So a repeat purchaser who comes back a week later, right when they show up, we know it's them and we can send more data sooner. So there's there's a lot of these, you know, 5% lift here, 10% lift there that all adds up. But ultimately, none of that matters if the data is going to get thrown out. So you have to set up, um, you know, again, a one to one connection that Facebook, you know, there's a whole form you have to fill out that says, I, I have the right to use this data. I'm sending it responsibly. I'm complying with your your governance. And if you're not doing that, you know, somewhere between 50 and 90 percent of the data just goes into the garbage, which is criminal. And you, you know, you. I love that you said, right, the importance of, I mean, a lot of our listeners are on Shopify, they're e-commerce brands, yep. the native Facebook app, Cappy integration is just not It doesn't enough. work, man. It's, it doesn't work. Enough. It's pretty so much not can... even Cappy at this point. It's pretty much the pixel, I feel like. Yeah, and like one area where I don't say this often, I think Facebook's ad tech platform, again, is like best in class. The one exception is events manager. So events manager leaves a lot to be desired. So if you turn on Cappy with Shopify and you look in events manager, you're like, I can see all my events. You know, look, they're all coming through. Look, I have a really high match rate. Look, I don't have any red dots. Everything's green lights, but the data is being ignored. And the way that you can tell is there's usually a 72 hour delay. You know, you finish up your big back to school sale you come back to the office Tuesday morning after Labor Day and you're like, why are all the numbers different than yesterday? You know, it's because there's a data lag because they're modeling it. So there's there's always clues that it's not working. But when you look in Events Manager, I think Events Manager is like a diagnostic tool and it'll tell you if there's something really wrong, but it doesn't tell you which data is actually being matched and, and tallied for a conversion, right? But let's actually dig into that for one second. So Let's assume you have a purchase happen on your, your Shopify site and that purchase originated from a TikTok ad or from organic search traffic or from an influencer buy. It has nothing to do with Facebook or Instagram. Um, that event is going to show up in the events manager. Yeah. Oh, I got a purchase. It can't be attributed to one of your ad campaigns because it needs to find an, impre an impression tied to that same user. So first they have to match the user, then they have to find an impression tied to that user. So you know, that signal is showing, gonna show up in events manager, but it's not really clear what happens to that signal. And I think that's part of the problem. So yeah, anyway, there's a huge, there's a huge um, issue where Shopify, you know, you toggle the light switch, you're like, the lights are on, I've got Cappy. But then you're like, but wait a second, it's not doing anything. And that's a real issue right now in the industry. Yeah, and, and that's super important, right? Because ex exactly what you just said, it's it's it, it's great to get more attribution in your ads. We all want that. We all want to know where our ad dollars are going, and you know what's yeah. you know what was my return on ad spend? What is my CAC? What is my CPA, etc.? What is my true CPA, right? Versus sort of post iOS, we're all guessing sometimes, but. But there's a much yep. bigger picture here, right? Exactly to your point. Like if your business is solely relying on Facebook, then it's super important to solve this problem because you're just going to be training the algorithms to work in your favor more. But then if your business is not solely relying on Facebook and you're multi-channel and you're, you know, you're getting a ton of organic traffic, you're getting sales from all these other places, 
the more information you give Facebook still, it's still going to only improve your, your campaigns because you're still going to be telling Facebook, here's my ideal customer. Here's who they are. Let's face it. Majority of people have a Facebook or Instagram account and Facebook knows a ton about us, right? And they, they, they know our buying habits. They know more than they're going to tell us, right? It's why they didn't mind getting rid of the connections with Nielsen and, you know, and right. And, and MasterCard and Visa and all of those are like, yeah, Snapchat, you can have them. We don't need them. We already know everything. about these people we're already tracking it all and so the more you can feed the algorithms to your favor like just the more your campaigns are gonna are gonna perform better oh i completely agree and like i actually think that's one of the biggest opportunities right so you know i think for most brands 30 to 50 percent of their sales are coming from some facebook tactic but let's assume that that's the case well that means at least half of your sales are coming from somewhere else if all of a sudden you're sending 100% of your data to Facebook, uh, you know, you might have two or three times the, the signal than you had before. And what you're actually telling Facebook is this is what good looks like. These are all the people that we think are good. These are good customers. These are people who like our product. These are people who are spending time on our site. And then that's how their machine learning works, right? So if you're going to, you know, put your impression into the auction. If you're going to show your ad to these 10 people out of this pool of, you know, hundred X more, how does Facebook know which 10 to show? If you don't get that signal in, it's a race to the bottom on what's the lower CPM, what's the cheapest click, but no one's business is in the business of CPM. It's in the business of sales. So all of a sudden you might see, wow, my CPM is 20% higher. My click through rate is, you know, unchanged, but my purchases are up four X. Okay, that's great. That's a great problem to have. You know, my CPM's higher, but my sales are better. My lifetime value is better. My cost per acquisition is lower. Um, that's all possible because now Facebook knows not just what's cheapest, but what's highest quality, what's highest value. Yeah, and I and I, you know, and I, I want to give like a little PSA here because I feel like the need for it, where like, you know, we're harping on this stuff because of the importance of it, like. Sure. I highly recommend if you're, you know, an e-com brand or I think you even work with some, you know, non-e-com brands, like you should be working with Popsicle and you should be using it, you know, on your site. But I mean, I use them, you know, we at Fetch and Funnel use them for our clients, right? But the, but we're not harping on it because we we're trying to get you to go buy Popsicle. We're telling you that Popsicle exists so that you can become more competitive in the market and that you can outdo your competitors because this stuff is so important. And it's stuff that like, you know, the, the ability to do this on your own is super difficult. I mean, Noah, you and I were sort of trying to solve this problem last year. And then that's where you started Popsicle because, you know, you solved it and we had our janky, you know, versions of it put together and stuff like that. Sort of the second iOS hit because we knew it was going to happen and it, and it did. But like this can give you a competitive advantage because iOS happened to everybody. Like there's no going around that, right? Level the exactly, field, man. exactly. And yeah. and so like, and and you know a lot of on the podcast and everyone you hear, every guru out there, they're harping on creative. And Noah, you and I were talking about it before the podcast. That's important. You should be focusing on on good creative. You shouldn't you know diverge from that in any way, shape, or form. But a lot of brands are looking at creative being their only differentiator or their only way to outdo their competitors because in to your just to your earlier point the the love the playing field is level 
But on the other hand, there is other solutions, right? There is ad tech. There are other things that you could still have inferior creative to your competitors because let's face it, we might not have the same budgets. We might not have the same resources. We might not be able to get that same level of creative, but you could still outperform your competitors even without that with with the right solutions, with actually thinking about it, you know, things differently, um, you know, versus just like iOS happened to me, you know, I don't have any other options I might as well just. (laughs) Yeah. And I I completely agree with you that there's a fixation on creative right now and I get it. I mean, I would say creative is like one of four things that matters, but it's maybe the one thing that brands still feel in control of, right? Like it, it feels like just to talk about the emotion for a second, it is so frustrating to have, you know, whipsaw, you know, up and down volatility on your Facebook account because you literally change nothing and one day it's working and the next day it's not. And like that, that'll keep you up at night. That is very, very stressful and you don't feel in control. You, you kind of feel like, you know, you're trying to steer a ship and the rudder's just flipping all over the place, right? So if all of a sudden, well, I can control my creative. Well, sure you can. But if there's three or four other areas that you've neglected, you know, if you're not using, you know, smart, dynamic audiences that are going to automatically update and are data driven and signal driven, well, you're using the world's smartest machine learning system, but you're using it as if it's a newspaper ad from 1900. Like that's a huge missed opportunity. If you're sending a bunch of data and it's all being ignored, like, well, that's a huge missed opportunity. So, um, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, I worked at a creative agency for, six years. I mean, I, I have huge respect for good creative and good creative strategy, but it's just like one of four ingredients. So, you know, if we were talking about race cars and, you know, all you did was change your tires, like, well, that's not enough. There's <laughs> a lot of other stuff you've got to sort out as well. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's a really good point, right? You, you, you might be into, you know, racing, but that doesn't mean that you're a mechanic. Right. And so I think, right. And, and that's a <laughs> yeah, good exactly. point too. Like, you know, should people be focusing yeah. on, you know, do it themselves marketing stacks? Like, you know, I think a lot of brands out there, you know, they're, they're, they're looking, yeah. you know, they're looking for quick solutions and, and things like that. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, I think that what's, what's awesome, right? So I, I would say zoom out, like I spent 10 years at big agencies working with big brands. And what I'm very passionate about now as a, entrepreneur is how do you take the big brand playbook and kind of pare it down? Because it's so cool that, you know, because of these do-it-yourself marketing tools, anyone with an idea can create a Shopify store and start reaching their customers and start drop shipping. And it's super empowering. And there's just a ton of really high quality products. This is like the great renaissance of products like right now in the world. So I love all of that. But like once you get to the point, you know, if you've gone from zero to one, you know, if you've gone a little bit of product market fit, if you started to just have your business like the engine is turning over, well, now you need to scale your business. And, you know, media and paid media is a great way to scale things up. But, you know, that is a professional level game. So a lot of times if you're resource constrained, maybe you start buying it yourself out of necessity. But at some point you got to face the music and say, geez, I'm investing 10 grand a month. And if I put it into the hands of a professional and it goes twice as far, that's like getting 10 grand of extra value. You know, you can't afford to throw that kind of money away. So, you know, as a, as a, you know, veteran digital ad buying professional, I definitely see that like a pro is going to outperform an amateur two to one every time. 
and you just have to figure out when you're ready to graduate to that level and trust, you know, trust, trust the professionals to do what they're good at. I could build a birdhouse and go to Home Depot with my daughter, but you know, I hired a carpenter to build the deck. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point, right? You can, you can, it's, it's smart to play around with the stuff yourself. It's smart. You know, if someone comes to us, you know, at Fetch and Funnel yeah. and they're like, I'm spending $500 a month on ads. I was like, all right, well, you know, you could, you know, you could mess around with it probably a little bit more to figure out if this is going to work for you or not, if you just started. Right. But if you've been spending $500 a month for a long time and, you're getting a great return and we see immediate opportunity that you could scale, then yeah, you shouldn't do that on your own to scale to five grand or 10 grand or 50 grand a month on your own, right? You shouldn't try to figure that out or, or outsmart the algorithms or, or any of that stuff. Right. And, and to your earlier point, like the guidance as well is super important too, right? You're going to get, you're going to get that guidance as far as like what you should be doing creatively, what you should be doing for other things. So, you know, and a lot of times the experience and guidance, you know, it's knowing when to just let things sit. So like one of my biggest pieces of advice to anyone who's learning, you know, kind of getting started with media buying is, hey, you're working with machine algorithms. Like if you make a change, you better wait at least three days, if not seven days, because if every day you're changing something, you, you're resetting your learnings over and over and over. Like the engine never actually gets up to speed. So, you know, I would think that you know, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, you know, they're pulling every lever every which way, seeing what works. And then if it works, they don't know why, and then they can't stabilize. So, you know, they call up a professional and maybe it's like, okay, well, let's talk on Monday. <laughs> let's let it run through the weekend. Let's give it a little bit of runway to like work itself out. Cause that's how these, you know, it's, it's called machine learning because it needs to learn. Like it takes time yeah. and scale for yeah, it to absolutely. learn. Yeah. And, and I love that because it's, it's like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, I'm an agency owner, just every once in a while, cut your agency a little bit of slack at the same time, right? You shouldn't be uh, harping on them when a new ad gets launched and say, you know, results aren't aren't great the day it launched. What's happening? Like, you got to give it some time. Right. You got to, you, you know, you got to give it, oh, I mean, we even see that with Popsicle. It's not like overnight, all of a sudden now this higher attribution works right it, it doesn't all of a right. sudden tomorrow get me better results but the longer you stick with it right yeah, after we, a few we, days you start seeing some exactly. results after a week even more two weeks later even more right and it just like you said it's a compounding effect that's going to yeah. build um on itself to to continue improving yeah we we didn't we didn't just sort of stumble into a two-week free trial we basically realized it takes about two weeks to really see like, wow, this is this is the full impact of what's possible. So it's not a coincidence that, you know, we give people that much time to kind of figure out, wow, this is working. I want to I want to. Yeah. So. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about Facebook a lot. We're talking about right. It, interesting things that are happening there. I mean, I think it's on everybody's mind as maybe the iOS happened and, and maybe they're pulling spend back here and there on Facebook or the, or they think the big brands are right. Uh, I, I'm, I, uh, I think people, I think people are making a mistake if they're looking for an alternative to Facebook, because again, there is some scale there that cannot be replaced. I've been managing experimental budgets on what I would call secondary social channels for a decade. And yes, you can run a successful test on Pinterest, on Twitter, on Snapchat, on TikTok. But as soon as you go to scale that test, you're going to figure out, you know, wow, on Facebook, I could spend a hundred grand a month. 
TikTok, you might not be able to scale past five grand a month. Like it just, it doesn't have the reach. It doesn't have the performance. It doesn't have the, the machine learning behind the scenes and they'll figure it out, but it's going to take them years to figure it out. So that's, that's my biggest concern is, you know, I see a lot of brands, you know, they're having inconsistent performance on Facebook. It spooks them. They've been heavily invested. They're ready to diversify. And then they do a test and they're like, oh, the test worked. Everyone's high-fiving. Okay, but let me know how that scales. Like I think the ideally, you know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket ever, but ideally you figure out how to get Facebook working. You figure out how to have the upper limit of what's possible on TikTok. You know, maybe you have a couple different tactics happening at once, but even that, it's a lot of complexity. So again, doing that yourself is very challenging. No, absolutely. Because I mean, if you pay attention to all the sort of like, if you look at all of the metrics across the board, like you're going to see, you may launch some, to your point, you may launch some TikTok, you may launch some Snapchat and get some really great early results. Like we do, we do it time and time again and we see it, but it's, it's, if, if the CPMs were the same on TikTok as they were on Facebook, Facebook would outperform TikTok every single day, no matter what. Right, yeah. but yeah. the reason that you're seeing the success on TikTok or, or Snap is just significantly lower CPMs, usually on average, right? And so that's what you're like up against your your actual you know conversion rate or anything like that is right. is actually not anywhere near that, right? And so of course you're that's great, but then yeah, how many people can you you get in front of, right? How many impressions can you get? Um, I mean, I, I don't think TikTok serving as many ads as, as, as Instagram and, and things like that, maybe that will change. Um, but you know, it's sort of like, yeah. it, it's like, I see, right. Whenever you go after a new audience, you get those early adopters right away. And then, right. And, and you, you know, you kind of have to improve upon yeah. that and the results will sort of fall behind. I feel like it's sort of the same thing in TikTok, right? TikTok may be like, I look at them kind of in two different ways. In my eyes, TikTok's like good at like trying to get you in front of all the buyers right away and then that will not scale or Facebook sort of doing the opposite. They're trying to prevent you almost from getting in front of like, right. Yeah, exactly. Pace like, let's pace it out. Yeah. So that way you, you can continue scaling and sustaining. And then that is where your upper hand is having the algorithms work in your favor, getting out of the learning phase, you know, using really interesting, you know, more advanced strategies, having the AI work in your favor, having, you know, good creative and all that kind of stuff. Cause then that's, what's going to differentiate you and oh, allow man. you to scale it past, totally. you know, whatever, hundred grand a month, 200 grand a month kind of thing. I mean, my dream campaign as a performance media buyer is I want to have a campaign where the pool of people that I'm tar- that I'm targeting is auto updating every day. It's auto updating because it's it's like a a one percent lookalike built off of past purchasers. And every day I get more purchasers, and every day the pool is updated. And every day I'm excluding whoever bought yesterday. And like, not that it's set it and forget it, but like that's an engine that once it's working and once you have you know good creative and good targeting and you know all the all the machinery is running like you can scale the crap out of that. Like you can really get that running and running well for months and months and months. Like that's how you scale a business. And I feel like, just like you said, you know, with Snap or TikTok, you know, you can run a test and it'll find some low hanging fruit, but it's almost a false positive because you're like, oh, great, let's double down. (laughs) You double down and there's no one left. So all the fruit's gone and now, you, you know, the tree falls over. So it's just... It's, it's definitely, um, 
we're, we're at a point where some of those secondary platforms, like they just aren't as sophisticated. And, you know, even, even Twitter, Twitter has been around forever. They really struggle with targeting because they don't have an identity driven yeah. platform. Right. So, you know, how many accounts do I have and how do they, yeah. they don't even know how old I am, you know, basic stuff. They don't know where I feel like Facebook and Google, I mean, Google knows, my innermost thoughts, you know, Facebook knows, you know, every single person and every single place and every single thing that I'm interested in. Like you just can't compete uh, if you don't have that kind yeah, of data. It's interesting. Cause like you just made me think about it, it. Tesla and Facebook in that sense to me almost have this competitive advantage mm -hmm. of ridiculous amounts of data. And so like, I'm not a huge Tesla fanboy. Like, I'll be the first to admit that. But one thing Tesla's going to be able to, if they're going to get autopilot working or not, he's neither here nor there, right? But like, if anybody's going to get it done first, it probably will be them because they've had how many thousands or millions of drivers collecting all this data for them for years. And then oh, totally. you know, Chevy or whoever is starting from today essentially right and then chevy may have the upper hand because there's probably more chevy drivers out there than tesla drivers so they might be able to get that number closer to what tesla is after a couple of years but like today like to me i mean i think uh i think it was mr wonderful that said it like i think he was saying his son said it who worked at tesla but like you know they're not a car company they're a data company i think he worded it like that right because they have so much data on yeah. the roads and how people are driving and and all of these things totally. right and i think it's it's super similar to facebook like there aren't like there's nowhere near as many websites that have a facebook pixel as there is that have a tiktok pixel and then not only that even if it was the same amount Facebook has 10 years historical data on me on every place. I've and they know what to do with it. Yeah. So like, I think chapter one of the data arms race was like, how do I get more data? But then chapter two is like, okay, I got all this data. Like, how do I synthesize insights? How do I pattern match? How do I turn it into mean, you know, something meaningful? And again, like some companies are really doing that very well. And other, I mean, look, the government's got all kinds of data. And I remember, you know, New York City, they'll once a year say, hey, hackathon, take all of our data and yep. teach us how to use it. <laughs> just having it's not not enough. You got to have yep. it. And you got to make sense of it. So Tesla's figuring that out. Facebook's figuring that out. A lot of companies like that is a huge competitive advantage. Yeah. I and it's, agree. I mean, and, and everyone's going into AI, right? They're, they're sort of forcing us into it, whether they want us, you know, whether we want to or not. Like Facebook was right. very public about CBO was going to be forced. It didn't end up being forced yet, right? But there's still every day you sign into Facebook and there's a new feature sort of say, it's like, I forget what automatic placements is called now, but like they put a fancy new name on it now to encourage you to use it right. because they have found, statistically speaking, if you use automatic placements versus now I'm going to split out Facebook and Instagram and, you know, audience network, like you're just not going to get the same results. Google's doing the same thing, right? We're getting forced from shopping into Performance Max and you name it, right? These big, but those are like the yep. two biggest companies that do have the AI, that do have the technology in order to, you know, to 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 to, to get the results from that, right? And to be able to capitalize on it for for the brands. Right. Um, yeah, and this has been a big part of like when I think about our product planning and our strategy, like we're really trying to work with Facebook's system. 
like there's there's a there's a trust and a respect that's there where it's like okay okay i'm, I'm personifying it's like okay facebook i trust you i trust that if i give you the right data you're gonna know what to do with it so i'm not gonna like create my own optimization i'm gonna give you the right data so that you're you're gonna auto optimize but in the best way and you know there's some really i mean there's some impressive tech out there i'm not gonna like badmouth any of these other you know ad tech companies but when i get access to an ad account and i see like there's 60 different events being tracked in events manager and they're all custom and i'm like okay but those aren't native events like facebook will let you send that in but it doesn't know what to do with it if you're sending a purchase if you're sending an ad to cart if you're sending a view content it knows what to do with that like let's let's play to facebook's strengths here and like kind of respect <laughs> respect the system get out of the way and let it do what it's best at and it's funny it's like there's almost a humility built into that and you have to you have to know so much that you know that you don't know anything and you got to let the oh, system yeah. do what it does. So yeah, it's funny with more experience. No, I do true. less. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a big part of our interview process is we're hiring media buyers is like, how are they yeah. thinking about it? Right? Like, are they yeah. testing this stuff? Like, you know, performance max is a black uh, performance max is a black box and there's hesitation around it for all of us. But on the other hand, like we know we have to, not only, you know, we, we don't, we have to embrace it and figure out how to have it work to our advantage instead of just like pushing away from it and just going, no, I'm going to continue doing as much manual as I can until I can't do it any longer because there's a reason that these ad tech companies are, are forcing you into it because at the end of the day, they want you to get results. Like you're going to, you're going to stop spending money on ads if you don't get any results. Like let's face it, they, you know, they need quarterly earnings and they, they need all of these things to happen. And they also, you know, they're, they're, they're like, Hey, here's a bunch of best practices. We published it in a blog and then no one read it. So I'm like, all right, here's a bunch of best practices. We're going to like overtake your screen and force you to read it. And everyone ignores it. And then they're like, okay, now the best practices yeah. are required. Yeah. Like, I think no, that's absolutely. what's happening. Yeah. And like, that's us. Like every time we get a good case study with Facebook, it's literally just because we did the best practices. That was it. Like literally that's all we need to get a good case study with Facebook is like we proved to them, hey, we ran some brand awareness campaigns and we proved how it reduced CAC for this client by running, you know, 10, 15% into brand awareness and we applied automatic placements and and CBO and X, Y, and Z. And they're like, great, that's a great case study. <laughs> we love that. Um, but I mean, I love programmatic. I love AI stuff. I, I honestly like, I, I love a lot of DSPs that are out there and things like that. I mean, thinking about sort of the big ad tech giants, what do you think about Apple? Like, what do you, oh. where do you think things might go there? Like, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So I would, I would say that when iOS 14 first hit and it's, the impact started to affect Facebook buyers, like let's call it May 1st of last year. I was like, whoa, shots fired. Like, wh like why? Like why? Okay, what's going on here? Why is Apple doing this? You know, what is their motivation? I've noticed since then over the last year, like all the big keynote Apple events, if you were to just listen to it and do a word cloud for like, like what's their agenda? What are they trying to make me feel and think? The word privacy, the word security, like it's going to be the biggest board. word in the word cloud. Every so like clearly that's, yeah, that's their agenda. And, you know, there's a lot of pretty aggressive, like fear mongering that they do with some of their advertising or, you know, my data is being auctioned unless I, unless I trust Apple, but I keep hearing rumblings in some of the, 
I think Ad Exchange and Digiday, like there were a couple I saw even in the last two weeks, like in August of 2022, where it was saying, you know, Apple's now um, placing job listings for like very senior programmatic media people to manage their product team. It's like, okay, well, clearly Apple's working on their own demand side platform. And clearly Apple is saying, oh, no, no, no one can have the data except for us. And now they're going to try to monetize it. So I, I personally call BS on Apple. I feel like they're a benevolent dictator um, under the guise of, you know, personal privacy. They're just, you know, lining their own pockets and preventing competitors from having any say in it. So I, I, I'm sure the day will come where Apple launches the thing they've been working on and instantly their trust goes to zero because people are like, what? This whole thing, you know, <laughs> all, all this time you've been baiting, baiting and switching me. Like, I don't think it's going to end well. I think that um, the, as, as much goodwill as they've bought, as soon as people see the true nature of it all, like their trust is just Yeah, it's evaporate. interesting because I, I think about this a couple different ways. Like I, you know, I hear rumblings about like, iPhones getting ads and like we've seen Samsung do it for years and stuff like that. But like usually Samsung's just like maybe it's one little app in the app store or they're trying to just sell you another Samsung right. product or something like that, which I don't have any problems with. I don't picture Apple just like blasting us with ads on their lock screen or 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 you know with I mean sure certainly within the app market you can already run ads there, right? But um, but I, I just don't see that happening. And, and I feel like there's this big arms race sort of for the metaverse, right. Or whatever you want to call it. Um, cause we know they're working on VR. We know they're working on AR. Like I, I, I have a couple bets with a couple guys, whether they're going to announce so VR, you know, in two weeks at their next keynote and whatnot. Um, this is one area where I am definitely not at the front edge and, I'm a little bit like embarrassed or ashamed to say, like I identify as being an early adopter. I'm just like not that interested in the metaverse. And I think it might be my life phase. Like I have, you know, two kids in elementary school, you know, I spend way too much time on the computer. The downtime that I have, like, I just want to be out in the real world. And I remember 2018 or 2019, I went to the Facebook developer conference and I got a free mm -hmm. Oculus Rift headset and I used it like three times. And I was like, wow, I'm sitting alone with this thing on my face, experiencing something privately. And like my wife is sitting next to me and I have no interaction. So I don't know, like I, I think that that first experience, I was just thinking like, yeah, sure, there's an arms race to get there. But I think I'm of a generation where it's like, I'm looking to spend less time on Twitter and more time face to face. Like I'm looking to, you know, get off a screen and go hiking. Like I just, I can't relate to spending even more time you know, in these uh, non face to face relationships. But again, I'm sure I'll change my tune. I might yeah, just no, be a It's interesting, here. right? Because like in Facebook's keynote around it, they showed us sitting in an office with other people, right? Like merging VR yeah. and AR for all of us to sit around, you know, a table in an office and have a virtual meeting, but it still feels like real life. And I feel like there are those settings that I can see it really clearly for even the professional who doesn't play video games or anything like that, right? Because certainly gaming is a huge version of it, right? And obviously like oh, a lot of kids already yeah. already live in the metaverse, right? Like uh, Minecraft and all those things like to right. me is already pretty much that. Um, but it's interesting to me where like the fragmentation will lie because like I, I love sort of using Ready Player One as an analogy just because it's so easy to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like so easy right to see the connection of like, 
you know, where ads are, where ads will be run, where businesses can sell digital products, right? Where they can be selling like Gucci and big brands are starting already starting to kind of develop a lot of this, right? But like to be able to buy my, you know, one of one Gucci shoes in the metaverse, right? That that you no one else owns and it's essentially an NFT, right? Like I totally understand all of that and that makes perfect sense. But then where does the fragmentation lie, right? Because like the last thing you want to do is go to a what a Metallica concert, get this really cool in 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 the metaverse, right? Get this really cool shirt that for your avatar that you could only buy if you went to that concert. But now anywhere else you go in the metaverse, you can't wear that shirt because it was only part of Sony's metaverse and nowhere else. Right. Right. And I'm curious, right. like if Apple, uh, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting where like how Apple will, I mean, because we see it already with, you know, Disney Plus and HBO and Apple, you know, Prime, and, you know, whatever, all these things. It makes me think about, yeah, I'm thinking about like identity and like, you know, imagine if wearing, like, imagine if going to the concert in real life and getting, you know, the swag at the concert and like wearing that to the grocery store and wearing that to the, as you go about your kind of real world life, when does that become secondary? But like you actually identify more with, the version of yourself that's in the metaverse and maybe you're like more successful and more popular and more beautiful and more rich in the metaverse. And all of a sudden you like put a, you put an emphasis on, on that reality. Almost, you know, imagine if, you know, it's the same $25 you can spend on either the physical t-shirt or, you know, whatever the digital version of it, like, well, which one do you prioritize? And that's going to be a major divide in society between people who are like metaverse centric versus in real life centric and who knows how that's going to that's where i see apple like really trying to push right like if they can get augmented reality done right if they can do the glasses done right if they could do all of these things that's where they can get a ton of brands to sell right to like spend a lot of money on it right it's like where where everybody wanted qr codes to go and they never went (laughs) right like um you know, several years ago. So I don't know. It, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. And often when I think about, sorry, it's funny. I'm like one part programmer and another part <laughs> philosopher. Like often what I think about is like based on trust, like some big brand is going to be powering that whole system. You know, the commerce side of it, the infrastructure side of it, the content side of it. I mean, there's just so many yep. big players, but like who should it be? Like, should MasterCard own my digital life? Probably yeah. not. <laughs> Probably it's not going to be a financial service. Should, like, hardware own it? Eh, I'm not so sure. Maybe. They might own part of it. Um, should creators own it? And, you know, it's the network? I mean, I don't know. But I think that people subconsciously feel like certain brands and certain organizations have the right to certain spaces and don't have the right to others. And like, that's why Apple wallet is so interesting is like, do I want to trust Apple with all my finances? I don't know. Some people love it. Some people don't. Do I want to trust Apple with, you know, the phone in my pocket, but what about the, my car? You know, no, maybe I don't. So I think that's a huge part of like who wins because it's going to be winner take all. And Apple clearly in order for them to continue to grow for their, their shareholders, like they got to create entire new markets because they already own the whole market that they're yeah, in. Can, so who knows? Is it education? Is it, is it, you know, military? Is it metaverse? Like 
they're gonna yeah. have to find someone. I mean, the government's like 15 years behind, so luckily we don't have to worry about them. But yeah, can I get a cold storage wallet for my digital life? That's an interesting one, right? And only lend out what I want per per person. Yeah, it's uh, that's a scary, it's a scary thing to think about. Well, reeling it back in, maybe for just like a, the next. 12 months yeah. versus sort of where we see things going in, in, a, in so, a few years, you know, I you know a lot so, of, people, yeah. Yeah. So I've placed, a, I've placed a pretty big bet on this. So popsicle today is a complete godsend life changer for all the problems that we've been facing for the last year, right? A year ago, though a window opened, we are operating in that window. There's some other change that's going to happen that could render popsicle irrelevant. And it's not, if that happens, it's when that happens. So this this is like what keeps me up at night, the, the 12 month time window. You know, is it iOS 17? Is it some new Facebook platform? Is it some new government regulation, et cetera? But there's also some macroeconomic things looming. And, you know, Shopify just laid off 10% of people and Facebook just had their first earnings call where they contracted slightly versus growing. I don't know. I think in some ways, like for six months, everyone's just holding on. So I personally think that for six months, there will be some somewhat of a stabilization where not that much is going to change because you don't want to make big, crazy changes when things are a little bit shaky. And I think that as we see some economic recovery, probably in Q2 of next year, that's where you can make some of those bigger bets. Um, so the next six months, I don't expect much to change, but I do think that the back half of 2023 we should expect some cataclysmic change, whether it's, again, government regulation, whether it's data policy, whether it's cookie deprecation finally happening, whether it's, you know, Apple getting <laughs> broken up as a monopoly or Facebook, you know, there's some shoes going to fall, but I just think there's some some bigger fish to fry first. And, you know, there's the this is the quiet before the storm. Should brands so be pulling back for Q4? Should they be expecting a similar Q4 to last year, or should you know, or should they just scale up like a like it's been the the last two amazing Q4, the last yeah. two years of amazing Q4s? Yeah, I mean, I think that everything that I've seen, you know, some people are saying that it's a recession right now. A lot of people are saying that it's not because consumer confidence is high. Credit card debt is well managed. You know, spending spending is high. Salaries are at an all time high. So we're in kind of a weird new situation where like there are some signals that look a little hairy, but then there's others that look pretty healthy. So I suspect Q4 to be pretty good. Um, I would say that you know my recommendation for brands is like take some calculated risks, but follow all the best practices. Do the things that work. You know, scale responsibly. You know, I wouldn't like go and do anything crazy. Um, I, I think that, again, whether it's, you know, changing your ads too soon or whether it's, you know, changing channels too soon or pulling your spend, like those are all like pretty drastic moves. Like, I think I think this is like the you want stability, you want kind of smooth sailing. And I would I would recommend that people kind of, you know, stay humble and just do what works and scale it if you can. Yep. And if you've not been happy with your results or you're doing it yourself, hire Fetch and Funnel as your media buying agency for Q4. And then we're going to give you Popsicle included anyway, so then you don't need to worry about getting it. Um, yeah. Or you could just, yeah, exactly. Or, uh, or otherwise, definitely get Popsicle. 
Um, I mean, two quick last questions, real quick hits. What advice would you give other sure. founders that are, are trying to break through the next huge revenue ceiling? You know, 5 million, 10 million big revenue marks. What advice would you give them? Yeah, honestly, this is uh, my last, my last startup was uh, doing market research. I feel like explore pricing. Um, one of the biggest pet peeves, I guess I have with a lot of new direct to consumer companies is they're priced really high out of the gate and they sell to a not scalable audience. So, you know, a lot of the times you hit the million dollar revenue ceiling because you're selling a product that's two times more expensive than it should be. And only rich people can buy it at Whole Foods, you know, well, if you want to get 10 times bigger, you got to reach a, a more mass audience type type buyer. And, you know, that might mean you're you know, high fiber, gluten-free super cookie or whatever, you know, can't be $8.99 for three cookies. It needs to be $5.99 or $2.99. So um, I think, yeah, I, I think you have to like really what marketing is about at its core is figuring out who is your market? What are their needs? What are their values? What do they care about? And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, they're just catering to that first, that first audience, which is usually affluent and, you know, influential and whatever, but your mass audience. Yeah. Is and, and go back. If you have not listened to the cosmos Q episode on this pod podcast, but he specifically talked about how he messed with pricing and, you know, offering free shipping significantly increased his conversion rate, but then it also allowed him to increase his pricing by like almost double. I mean, it's a, it's a low price point item, but he increased his price almost double included free shipping and still had a significantly higher conversion rate. So yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. Um, last question, any good book recommendations, anything you're reading lately or, or, or anything you recommend? Yeah. So I've been, I've been rereading West Bush product led growth. Um, I'm all in on product led. And I think that even if you're not running a software company, so much of the book is just about being humble and listening and having empathy and like really saying, I know who my buyer is. I know what they care about. I respect them. And I'm going to build a product that sells itself because it solves their problem and it makes their life easier. And it's just a no brainer for them to say yes and be happy. Um, so yeah, I, I would think that that would trickle down even if you're selling, you know, socks you know, it's just about how do you know your customer? How do you respect your customer? And, you know, I, I would say product-led growth flows right into customer success. That's awesome. Love it. Um, Noah, Bunny, I appreciate you taking the time here to, to talk to our audience. I urge everybody to check out Popsicle. Right. We'll have a link uh, in the description, but uh, it's it's com. just in case you were just going to try to Google a, a good old frozen Popsicle. And yeah, Noah, thanks again for, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you dropping so much knowledge here. Samir, thank you so much. It's been a lot Likewise, of fun. Good to catch up. Cheers. Samir Al-Kamuni here. Thank you so much for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. If you are a successful brand that is crushing it and would like to be on this program, 
please visit go.ecomgrowthleaders.com slash podcast dash guest. If you got something out of this interview, please share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on social. Ecom Growth Leaders is sponsored by Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. We've partnered with 100 plus brands and generated over 500 million for clients using our trademarked Fetch and Funnel method. We have tons of content over our, at our blog, fetchfunnel.com slash blog, and also some amazing eBooks like How to Crush Your Competitors and How to Produce High Converting Creative. Thanks again for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and it means a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, fetchfunnel.com, or follow us on social. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>